I'm excited as we continue this series called Deep Clean. Um, I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life where, you know, the moments of pressure, of chaos, where things don't go the way you think it's supposed to go, and you ask the question that all of us have asked at least once, God, what was that? God, where are you? This is, God, this is not what's supposed to, it's not supposed to go this way. This is not what's supposed to happen. And every single one of us, we have experienced a moment like this, whether good or bad. Maybe it was something really great. God, what was that? This is fantastic. I love this. But typically, because we're such a pessimistic society, it is not that way. Things didn't go the way we wanted, the way that we thought God intended. And we are left asking God, where were you? Why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you step in? And today we're going to look at the life of an individual in Scripture that had this very same question. So if you got your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. Ruth. I had a friend of mine, a professor in college. Here's a fun, stupid pastor joke for you. Um, His wife, her name was Ruth. And without fail, every class he would talk about Ruth. And he says, you know what? But before I got married, I was ruthless. Yep. And because of how cheesy that joke is, I will turn in my resignation um, so you never have to deal with that. No, one thing I love about the book of Ruth is it's a historical book of Scripture. Now, most of the book, it actually, it deals with, well, well, Ruth. And it was written during a time where this was before uh, kings were ruling the nation of Israel and these groups called judges were ruling the area. And basically what was happening is people were really just kind of doing whatever they wanted. Uh, It says, uh, one portion of Scripture says, they did what was right in their own eyes. Um, And honestly, it kind of makes me feel like today's culture. You know, a lot of times we just do what we feel, you know, do what you feel is right. What do you feel in your heart? Let me tell you something. I don't trust myself to make the right decision at Wendy's, okay? I go there with the greatest intentions, and I leave with a double stack. Mm, Extra onion, no pickle. But today, we are going to look at a different individual for the most of this message than normal in the book of Ruth. We're going to look at uh, Ruth's mother-in-law. Her name's Naomi. So let's jump in. Let's read together. Uh, and we're going to kind of jump through. We're going to start uh, verses 1 through 5. Then we're going to jump down to chapter, in chapter 1 to verse 19. And then we're going to jump to the last chapter in chapter 4. So if you're in the book of Ruth, you're, where you, well, you're right where you need to be. So... Let's read this together, starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. Say, "Uh uh-uh. All four of you, I'm glad everybody's listening. Taking his wife and two sons with him, the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then it just gets worse. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. And the other, a woman named Ruth. And then it gets worse. But about 10 years later, both Malin and Killian died. 
This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. A famine hit the land, and they left. They left Bethlehem with the Moab. Now, here's something that I'll kind of unpack a little bit more as we get into it, but I need you to also know this. See, Bethlehem is where they were supposed to be. Moab was considered enemy territory, okay? It wasn't a friendly place for them to have resided. And we're going to go deeper into that of why that is and how just crazy the Moabites were, especially with the God that they worshiped, because they were not uh, believers in God, or at least not the one we serve. They served a false God. So they get there, they realize again, they're in Bethlehem, they have no food to feed their kids, no food to feed their boys. So they leave, go to Moab, Naomi's husband dies. Ten years later, fast forward, you think, oh, everything will be okay. Nope. So she's left with just her two daughter-in-laws. Now, some of you, if you were left with just your daughter-in-laws, you would be like, oh, I'm going to be okay. Some of you, mm mm-mm. You would, you would not be. But see, here's why this was such a big deal then. See, in that day and that time and that culture, historically, women were very limited in what they could do and what they could possess. They couldn't have their own property. Most of the time, uh, widows, especially when they had no males, no sons, no one, they would end up being beggars. They would end up potentially being prostitutes. So the life and what they could do was very, very limited. So what happens... Is Naomi was like, hey guys, uh, Orpah, Ruth, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. Um, you guys go back to your home, you know, remarry, live your best life. Uh, Orpah said, say no more, and she left. But Ruth, she said, you know what, no. I'm with you to the end, Naomi. Let's do this. So let's jump into verse 19, verses 19 through 21. So the two of them continued on their journey. Again, this is uh, Ruth and Naomi. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is this really Naomi, they asked? Now, sometimes you may, again, I love context because you read that and you think, but how did they say that? You know, they probably weren't thinking that Naomi was looking good. Is that Naomi? Oh, dang. Look, I haven't seen her in like 10 years and look how great she looks. No. Her life had fallen apart. Her husband was dead. Her two sons were dead. Life was not going good for Naomi. And this is what verse 20 says, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? God, where were you? And she says, don't call me Naomi. See, Naomi means pleasant, means sweet. Mara means bitter, displeasant. Is that Naomi? Don't you call me Naomi? Call me Mara. You can even smile while saying Mara. Call me bitter. Life has fallen apart. You don't call me anything nice. I, I imagine that every time, like she has this permanent scowl when she's trying to correct these. Don't you call me Naomi? Talking through her teeth like she, like. Is it? Can you imagine 
And some of you are like, yeah, it's not really hard to imagine what it feels like to feel like God's abandoned you and God's left you. Some of you are sitting here today, you're watching online with an online campus, you're like, I'm there right now. I just got back to Bethlehem. I've been in Moab, and I'm just like, God, you have not shown up. Where have you been? Because you had this dream, you like, I wanted to have this, and God, you were going to supposed to do this, and then this was going to happen, this was going to happen, and God, what was that? Why am I here now? Why am I having to experience this suffering? Why am I having to go through this? Why am I having to endure this? I put my trust in you. You say you're faithful? Keith just said he, you're faithful no matter what, but yet here I am sitting here listening to him talk, and I'm called thinking you're a liar? Like, he's not faithful. He didn't do at all anything what he was supposed to do. He didn't save me. He didn't provide for me. Here's what we're going to unpack today. This is the big idea. This is what you can text to your friend. This is what you can tattoo on your neighbor's forearm. Life can still be full even when we feel empty. Your life can still be full even when we feel empty. See, if we focus only on the empty, we're going to have an empty life. If we focus only on the empty, our dashed expectations, our dreams that have been shattered, we will become like Naomi, we'll be bitter. We all have that person in our lives that are like this. You know, and here in a few weeks we have Thanksgiving. Some of them are what you would call family members. And you're going to talk about, hey, guys, let's talk about everything we're thankful for around the table. And you're going to get to them, and they're going to say, well, we had to be thankful for. Call me Mara. And if you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't have anyone in my family like that. You might be the Mara. But if we focus only on the empty, we will be empty. And there are two concepts we're going to unpack today, okay? Because here's the thing. I'm not going to minimize the suffering you're enduring. I say a lot of sarcastic things because this is a very heavy topic, and we need to somehow get through this together. So here's the first thing we're going to unpack is the wrong direction always leads to the wrong destination, the wrong direction always leads to the wrong destination. And it's, it's true every single time. Every single time. For example, if my goal was to get to that door, like some of you are hoping that we, I'm just, I'm trying to get out of here. If I were going for that door, but I'm going this way, I'm going to mess up all the people running cameras. I'm not going anywhere near that door, am I? Uh-uh. I have the greatest intentions, but I'm going in the wrong direction. And some of us have the greatest intentions, but we're heading in the wrong direction. And because of that, we end up in the wrong destination. Because again, like I was sharing earlier, they left Bethlehem because of a famine and they went to Moab. They left where God wanted them and went where they thought they would be able to survive. They went and hoped on their own ability, their own strength, that everything would be okay. And see, there are times, and this is not always, okay? This is not an always. But there are times where we're wondering, why God, why? Why, God, am I not at that door? Why am I not getting closer? Because I'm going in the wrong direction. 
There are times our choices, there are times where my choices have placed me away from what God desires for me. There are some sufferings and pains that I've endured in my life that are not God's fault whatsoever. They're my fault. They're because of the decisions that I have made. Why did I go away full and come back empty? Because I turned my back on what God desired for my life. I was the one that was missing it. You know, talking about Moab, you know, God actually talks about what he thinks of this place. Because if you, again, sometimes you're like, I wonder what God's thinking. Well, this is what God thought of Moab. In Psalm chapter 60, verse 8, he says, Moab is my wash basin. Some of you, you may think of like, you're like, I would never go to that place. That's like the armpit of Virginia. Some of you are from places that might be considered the armpit. Moab is my wash basin. Moab is where I clean my dirty, poop-covered feet. Because for their day and time, again, a wash basin was used to clean their feet after they've been traveling, and they didn't wear covered shoes like we have. So guess what they would step in? Mm-hmm. That poop emoji, but it wasn't smiling. <laughs> and he's saying, I've got dirty feet. I would wash my feet in Moab. You see, this area, they worship this god called Kamash. Kamash was somewhat related to the, the god of Baal, this other, another false god. But see, here's the difference. Again, this is, this is why Moab was so dark. This is why it was like, why would you leave Bethlehem to go to Moab, Naomi? Come on. You see, Kamash, it's another, another word is destroyer. And part of worshiping this false god required sacrifice, blood sacrifice, and not animal sacrifice, human sacrifice. And in one instance, you read in the book of 2 Kings, it actually talks about how they sacrificed an infant to the god Kamash. So this is not like you're just like, this isn't just some, oh, you know what? I really, I don't, I, I'm going to move to Midlothian. I like Chesterfield, but Midlothian is better. No, no. Moab was a place that God said is his wash basin. They left a place of blessing and went to where you wash your dirty feet. So what happened here? What did she do? Again, she left where she was supposed to be and she headed in the wrong direction. She left Bethlehem and went to Moab. She went in the wrong direction and ended up, surprise, surprise, the wrong destination. And the thing that we have to kind of wrestle with of how, what does that mean for me and you? Are our hearts drifting towards the right direction? Are our hearts drifting towards the things of God, the things that honor the Lord? Are we drifting towards when life hits us square in the face when we have the worst week imaginable, does the pain and suffering cause us to draw closer to the Lord or escape and go to Moab? Does it cause us to draw closer to the Lord in his faithfulness and his goodness, even if we don't think he's all that good right now? Or do we retreat and we try to self-medicate and do it our own way? You know what? It's just one drink. You know what, it's just, it's just one season of sitting and watching TV. You know what, it's, it's just a text message conversation. 
You know, it's just a phone call. It's just dinner. It's just, and next thing you know, you're further and further and further from where God wants and closer to Moab. You're closer from being pleasant and sweet Naomi to becoming Mara and bitter because of where you have brought yourself. Because again, that's, that's, that's for us. That's our decisions. And listen, things happen. Life happens going to throw us off kilter. And if you don't believe me, you're like, nah, uh Keith, life's perfect. Did you forget 2020? Did you forget how in March of 2020 everything changed? I'll never forget, I'm flying back. I was actually, it was a few weeks before everything shut down. I'm flying back from scouting out a mission trip for Kenya, Africa, and I'm sitting on a plane and I'm watching the flight attendants walk around with masks and canisters of, uh, of sanitizer, like walking around, like literally bombing the plane. You can't say that at the airport. You hit the button and it's like, psh, fogging us and sanitizing us. Everything changed. Listen, everything changed and got derailed. There are times in your life and in my life where things are just going to happen that are out of our control. There was a famine in Bethlehem. They didn't leave Bethlehem and go to Moab because, they, you know what? I like that place. Let's go there. Let's go sacrifice people. No. They left because of a situation. And when we face these famines of our lives, we have the option to go in the right direction or the wrong direction. And again, if we go in the wrong direction, we're going to end up in the wrong destination. But one thing I'm thankful for God, that no matter how far away we have moved away from what he desires, we can always turn around. God is faithful to allow us to repent and move back towards where he desires. Again, they were there for like 10 years after all the death, after her husband died, after the son died, they were there for a decade. And then they decided, you know what, let's go back. This just ain't working out. It is never too late to move in the right direction. And this is the other concept we're going to kind of break down today and understand is that a distorted view of God always leads to a distorted view of life. Anytime we don't see God for how and who he is, it's going to negatively affect how we look at every situation, how we look at every uh, relationship, how we look at every circumstance, the good and the bad. Everything's going to be filtered through this distorted view. And it comes from, again, here's what's incredible. So for Naomi, when you go back and you read that passage we read earlier in uh, verse 1 or chapter 1, you see how she's saying, I went away full and the Almighty brought me back empty. You see, how and what we say about God in the good times and the bad times reveal our perspective of who God is. Even if we don't fully agree, even if we don't fully believe it. But it's in that, again, that we can see and reveal, like it's like this revealing moment of our hearts of what do we really think about God? She was bitter. She was angry. God let her down. You know, I can't, I can't imagine moving during a famine, losing my spouse, and then losing my children, and then still somehow having to live, to continue, and not become bitter at God. 
I remember um, when uh, I was finished with high school, and I, I remember uh, at the church I used to attend in North Carolina, there was this one girl, uh, her name was Susan, and she loved to worship God with dance. And when I tell you that, you know, you know how there are some people who just, God has just gifted them to do something. Like it's just, it's as natural as breathing. For Susan, it was dance. And I remember seeing her so many times, so many different songs, worshiping God. And her desire, her vision for her life was to one day open up a dance studio there in town and help individuals, help young kids find a love for dance, but not just for dance, but to also follow Jesus. It was going to be her ministry. It's going to be her job and career, but it's going to be her ministry. And you know, then I'll never forget, in 2004, late December, I got this phone call. I was sitting there with Lauren and a few friends were eating Waffle House, which of course we're eating late at night because that's when you eat Waffle House. You make bad decisions at Waffle House. I remember sitting there talking with them and um, we got a phone call. Susan had been in a car accident. Um, and she didn't make it. And you know, every single year, every December, um, I think about Susan. I think about like the other day, just in, just in preparation for this message, I was like, how old would Susan have been? And for me, it's, it's not the fact that she died so young, it's the fact that she shouldn't have died. God, she was the good one. She had such a bright, beautiful vision and future to bring glory to your name. And now she's gone? I remember for a long time, I was, I was bitter, man. I was angry. I remember helping carrying her casket at her funeral. Angry. Because that's not the way it's supposed to go. That's not the way this is supposed to happen. I went away full and I came back empty. You know, and there are still to this day, almost 20 years later, there are certain songs that when they come on the radio, I can't listen to them. Because there were songs that she would dance and worship to. It hurts and I almost didn't even want to share this. Because even sharing this, I, I, it hurts me and it makes me want to get angry again. Call me Mara. She said, I went away full and the Almighty brought me back empty. You see, the first mistake that she made is the fact that she left Bethlehem. She left what God wanted and promised and, again, placed a blessing and moved to enemy territory. She made the mistake of blaming God when, again, it's all your fault, even though she's the one that stayed away for a decade. Okay, call apple an apple. But here's one thing she got right. Because, again, what you call God in the good times and the bad is a reflection of who you believe God is. You see, the term that she used for almighty has a completely, let me say this. I can kind of get a sense of your relationship with the Lord by what you call God. If you call him the big man upstairs, the guy in the sky, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think you have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Because when you've experienced his grace, 
When you've experienced his forgiveness, when you've seen him do the miraculous, things that you can't dismiss, things you can't doubt away, things that uh, you can't just say, well, logically, no, there was no logical explanation for this. When you see God move, you call him by intimate names. You call him Savior, you call him Father, you call him Creator, you call him Redeemer. What we call the Lord is a reflection of our relationship with him. And even in this situation with Naomi, when she calls him Almighty, when you look at the original language, what she's calling him is called El Shaddai. El Shaddai, this is what that means. God is ample. God is able. God can meet my need when I need him. Even when she's telling these individuals, call me Mara, call me bitter, because El Shaddai brought me back empty. Even in the pain and her suffering and her mourning, she knew who God truly was. And I promise you it doesn't end sadly and terribly. You see, in chapter 4, it talks about Ruth. Now, Ruth meets what I'll just say the man of his, her dreams called Boaz. Say, Boaz. Say, hey there, Boaz. He was rich, handsome, everything you would want. And it's in this, God blesses this special relationship out of Naomi's brokenness, out of her returning to Bethlehem. Let's read this, Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. So what does Naomi do? Verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. Don't name your kids that. <laughs> he became the father. And this is very important. This is so important. Like a lot of times we, you may have read the book of Ruth and you can, this, this, this right here, this sentence, this, this big deal, big deal. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. So they named him Obed, which means servant of God. But again, he says he was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. Now, here's why that's important. Generationally, let's fast forward. Because in generation after generation, he begat this one, they begat that one, this begat Obed, the father of Jesse would give birth to David. David would give birth to Solomon, so on and so on. But then, again, God's plan, all the way down to a man named Nathan. Not Nathan, Nathan with an M, who's the father of Jacob. And Jacob, who is the father of a man named Joseph. Joseph, who would be married to Mary. 
and Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. Out of Naomi's brokenness, what if she had never gone back to Bethlehem? What if she stayed in Moab, died in Moab? What if she had never made the decision to go back to where she needed to be? Would Ruth have ever met Boaz? I don't know. God can do whatever he wants. But logically, probably not. Through our brokenness, God can bring healing. And here's, here's something I do want to say. That doesn't mean it's going to happen when we want it. Naomi lived 10 years in Moab, went back to Bethlehem. But it was her returning to where she should have been to begin with is where the healing happened, where it started, where it continued. And this is what we've got to do. We've got to move in the right direction with the right perspective. Some of us, you're already there. You're moving in the right direction with the right perspective. Guess what? Awesome. Congratulations. Woohoo. Keep doing that. But for the rest of us, the other 99% of us, we need to start taking steps. Because again, you may be over here. And I'm, maybe this is not it. Maybe that's not it for you. Maybe it's not this giant step. Maybe today is not this giant step, okay? Maybe today is just this. And then this. Because again, they went from Moab back to Bethlehem. Guess what? They did not charter a flight, okay? They didn't hop into their car. They didn't call an Uber. One step at a time. We have to allow God to have access to our pain. Naomi said, I went away full and I came back empty. Let me encourage you today. God can make you full again. Jesus said, I came to have, for you to have life and life to the fullest. And, I don't, and that fullest is not just like a fat bank account and everything you could ever want because you're a selfish individual. No. For your life to be whole and complete. But we have to move in the right direction with the right perspective of who God is. He is El Shaddai. He is the God who is able. He is the God that can. He is the one that cares for you. Again, we literally sang a song about the goodness of God. That was not planned. I was, I'm, I'm in the back waiting to come up on stage for the transition, I, and it hits me. I'm like, oh, man, this is perfect. I did not talk to... Andrew and Liz would say, hey, you need to really make sure we talk about the goodness, of God, sing about goodness of God because that really goes well with the message. No, <laughs> that is not how that worked. It's just, again, God and his goodness. But see, today we have a choice, you and I. Just like Naomi had a choice all those many years ago. Are we gonna stay in Moab? Are we gonna stay wanting people to call us Mara? Or are we going to return to where God wants us to be? And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what your Bethlehem is. All right? I don't know if that means you need to fight for your marriage. 
I don't know if that means that you need to get, uh, because of maybe something experience you're having in your life, you need to go seek professional counseling. I don't know if that means that you need to get, maybe you've walked away from the Lord and you've gotten distracted, you've gotten derailed. You want to come back and just renew this relationship with God. I do not know what your next step is, but I guarantee you, you've been thinking about it this entire time. You know, because why? Because God is directing your steps. You know where you need to be. You know where you need to go. Again, you can keep going in the wrong direction, but you will always end up in the wrong destination. How we view God again, if we have a distorted view of God, it's going to, we're going to have a distorted view of life. We're going to be bitter. Everything's going to be filtered through bitterness and suffering. And I'm glad you had a good day. My week's going terrible. I can't believe you. That's what happens. I don't know. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, sold it at the yard sale. Move in the right direction with the right perspective. Take one step today. And my prayer because why, Keith, why do you pray? Because I can't. I don't, I don't want to. Sometimes I'd rather just wallow in my own pittiness, my own bitterness. Sometimes it feels good. But God wants you to have a life that is full. Not full of yourself, full of him, of his goodness, of his faithfulness, of his love, of his grace. But we have to be moving in the right direction with the right perspective so that we can live the life that he desires for us, not just for ourselves, because God wants to use you where you are for his will to become a reality. Listen, Ruth went with Naomi. There's someone in your life that God wants to use you, use your story, use your life to share the gospel with. It's not all about you. There are people in your life that they're just waiting on your obedience, waiting on you to take those next steps. So this morning, let's pray together. God, we are so thankful that you care for us. That God, you care for us even when we, when we don't care for you, when things are not going the way we think they should. God, when we are suffering. God, I pray today that if there's Again, there's some of us in here that we have walked away from you. We have went from the place of blessing to the place of Moab. God, I pray today, God, give us the boldness to move in the right direction with the right perspective. God, to view you as you truly are, who you truly are, not just some idea of what we think, but God, who we know you to be as we read in scripture. God, you are El Shaddai, you are able, you are capable. God, you are sovereign. You are in control. God, I pray for us again. Maybe we don't need, maybe we're in the right place. God, help us to continue to stay obedient to you. Help us to continue to pursue you. God, to be used by you in our daily lives. God, so that your desires, your will can become the reality that we live in. And God, I pray for those today that they're returning to you to a relationship with you, whether for the first time or for the second, third, or fourth time, whatever it takes. Because God, you care for us, you're pursuing us, you're drawing us to yourself. And I wanna ask those, again, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus today, scripture says it's to believe it, to confess. 
And we do that in a way of prayer. So if you would pray this prayer with me and just say, God, I believe that I'm a sinner. I admit that I need you, but I cannot save myself. I am forgiven of my sins by my faith in you, in your death and resurrection. I confess that you are Lord of my life. I surrender everything to you. God, guide my next steps. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.